You are listening to Cornelia Church. Passion for God, compassion for people. Hello, Koinonia Church. It's always good to be with you. Uh, this weekend, we're going to begin a new series, and we're going to talk for the next couple of weeks uh, about the book of Exodus. Every year, we like to take time uh, to raise our biblical literacy and to understand how the Bible is put together. And we like to look at at least one book every year and do a study through that book. And so this year, we're going to look at Exodus, and we're going to dive into this incredible book. It's the second book uh, in the Bible, and, and maybe you know a lot about it, and maybe you don't, uh, but I know that you're going to find uh, a lot of encouragement. You're going to grow in not only your understanding of the book, but you're going to grow uh, in ways spiritually that God has for each one of us. So uh, if you have a Bible, I want you to get your Bible out. Uh, I want you to get some notepad out, something to write notes on. If you're following along online, you can, of course, open the Version app, either on your iPad or your your iPhone or your Android or whatever device and find our notes in the chat on, under events. Uh, and then of course, if you're watching on uh, uh, Church Online, you can find the notes right there in that tab. Uh, if you're in the chat today, I just wanna say, hey, just put in the chat, say, I'm ready, I'm set, because I want you to be on the page, I want you to be ready, I want us all to put our, our student caps on today as we dive into this. We're gonna talk a little bit of history, a little bit of information, and I don't want to lose you because uh, at the end, we're going to get very specific and very particular. So we're going something, uh, going somewhere here. And I don't want you to miss it. So we're going to begin right at the, at the beginning of the book. And then I'm going to talk to you a little about what this book is, where it comes from, all those kinds of things. So I want you to open up uh, to Exodus chapter 1. Like I said, it's the second book of the Bible, right at the very beginning. Uh, and uh, we're just going to read the first 14 verses to kind of give us uh, a sense of context of where we're beginning. So it says this, These are the names of the sons of Israel who went to Egypt with Jacob, each with his family, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. Those are the 12 uh, tribes, 12 sons of Israel, right? And they eventually become 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, verse 5, The descendants of Jacob numbered 70 in all, Joseph was already in Egypt. So right here at the very beginning, these first five verses, what we see is kind of a little pre-story uh, and placement of what's going on. Uh, we see the children of Israel, that is the children of all those 12 brothers, are in Egypt. How did they get there? Well, we, we see the story of them getting there in Genesis, and it has to do with Joseph. That's why it says Joseph was already in Egypt, right? Egypt went through a famine. Joseph, by an amazing series of providential uh, movements of God brought Joseph to a place of leadership and then provided a place of safety during this famine time that was affecting uh, the entire ancient Near East, uh, allowed his brothers and his family to be preserved. They would have died of starvation, but instead they were able to come to Egypt and be provided for because of Joseph's position. All right. Uh, and, and it's interesting that it says there are 70 that was that came in, 70 uh, of those uh, family members, essentially, that came into Egypt at that time. 70 becomes a very important number for the Jewish people. And it's actually a theme you'll see in scripture over and over again. Let's go back to verse six. Now, Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died. Now, just to pause there, because uh, we know that uh, seasons change. And uh, one generation's experience 
uh, and their memories fade very quickly, right? And they're forgotten by the next generation. And before you know it, all the promises that were made or all the experiences that were experienced by that previous generation are forgotten by the next generation. Uh, and, and this is where Israel, the children of Israel, have found themselves in Egypt, and everyone now has forgotten about Joseph and, and his special relationship with Pharaoh and the way that uh, there was God's favor, united the two nations together, all that kind of thing. Well, nobody remembers now, right? Verse 7, but the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Verse 8, then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, and if, uh, I'm sorry, if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So, well, he, he's got a problem, right? Because he recognizes that the children of Israel, uh, they're becoming strong, right? There's a lot of them. They're growing in numbers. They have perhaps just, you know, influence within the nation. Uh, and so he begins to look at the future and say, man, this, these people economically, they're good for our country. They're creating economic revenue, right? Their very presence is a, is a benefit to us, but at the same time, their presence is a risk to us. And so we have to prepare ourselves for the future. And so he makes his plan, right? He says uh, in verse 11, so they put slave masters over them to oppress them and force labor. And they built Pithom and Ramses as storehouses for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly, right? All right, we're going to just stop right there. But that's, that's the first 14 verses, and we see immediately the tension and the purpose of the book is set up right there, right? Right here in the first few verses. Uh, and for the rest of the book, we're going to see that carried out, that tension that is there between Egypt and the children of Israel. And what's going to happen? Well, that's what we're going to find out in this entire book. Now, why? Let me just pause for a second and back up. Why would we look at Exodus? Why would we look at the Old Testament? Why would we look at the past? I mean, isn't this just a, a story? Isn't it a history even of the people of Israel? And what does it have to do with us? What does it have to do with you? Right? I mean, this is so critical for us to understand because I want you to see that we're not just talking about information. We're not just talking about history. I mean, I think history is fascinating. But not everybody does. Uh, and this is why it's important for us to understand. We're not just learning about a people group somewhere that's unconnected to us. This is actually really critical for us to understand as Jesus followers. And Paul says this in Romans chapter 15, verse 4. And this is why we're looking at Exodus. This is what he says, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope, right? He says, Paul, there's a, Paul says there's a reason that this was written. And, and there's three words that he says that stand out to me, all right? He says that there's endurance that we can learn from, there's encouragement that we can receive, and there's hope that we should see as we read these stories. They're more than stories as we read the history of the people of Israel and how God worked with them and worked his story out. And see, we're part of that continuing story today. So that's why we look at this book. 
Because when we look at Exodus, what we see is we see a picture, really, of the church today, but we see it through the lens of the children of Israel. So what's in Exodus? Let's just do a quick flyby. Maybe your understanding of the book of Exodus comes only from uh, the movie, the animated film, The Prince of Egypt, that came out a couple of years ago. I actually got a lot of those historical facts correct. Uh, so maybe you have a really in-depth understanding of the book, but there's so much that's in Exodus. You see the children of Israel, right? The children of Israel, which are literal people, the Jewish people. And today, we actually are uh, the new Israel. We're the spiritual Israel. We're also part of that family of God, part of the family of Israel. We have now been brought in through Jesus, and we're part of that tree, right? We see Egypt and Pharaoh, all right? We, we all know the let my people go phrase that we hear Pharaoh saying uh, in that great movie with Charlton Heston that happened years ago. Uh, and the, Egypt and the Pharaoh uh, are a picture of the world, right? And uh, of our enemy, the enemy that we have today. So we're not only talking about a literal nation when we read this book, we're actually seeing that Egypt represents, and each of these characters in this book represents something spiritual for us, and that's why it's so applicable to us today. So it represents the world, uh, and the way that we get ensnared in the world represents the enemy of our souls that we have. Moses, of course, is a picture of, of Christ who sets the people free, just like Christ sets us free and leads us to the Father and teaches us his ways. You know, you, you see in the book the ten plagues, right? The flies, the frogs, the firstborns, the parting of the Red Sea, right? As Pharaoh chases the children of Israel with his chariots and the Red Sea parts and the children of Israel walk through. And then, of course, as the Pharaoh comes through with his chariots, the sea comes back together and, and swallows them up. We see the people of Israel wandering in the wilderness and the desert for 40 years. We see water coming out of rocks. We see manna coming down from heaven, the giving of the Ten Commandments, the instruction about the tabernacle and how to worship God. So much is in the book of Exodus. I mean, I really, page for page, it is one of the most influential books of the Bible. I really have no doubt about that. This is what Jesus himself says about the first five books of the Bible, or uh, Jesus knew it as the Torah, right? That's what the Hebrews called the first five books of the Bible. They were the first five books and the books written by Moses. And this is what he says in John 5, 46. He says, if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me, right? And so when Jesus looks at Exodus, when he looks at Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, he says, Moses was writing not just the history of Israel, not just about God and, and his, the way he's developing his story. He's actually writing about Christ. He was writing about Jesus. Jesus said, he was writing about me. And so when we look at Exodus, we see that Christ is all over the pages of the book, right? We see him in the Passover lamb. We see him in the bronze serpent. We see him in the bitter water that's turned sweet when the tree is thrown into it. We see him in the tabernacle itself. There's so many pictures of Christ over and over again. So when we look at this book, I just want you to sort of stir you up just a little bit. Don't just see it as some history that I got to remember about all these things of the people of Israel. No, no, no. This is actually the story that is so important for us as followers of Christ because Christ is there and he's got something for us to understand about our lives today. Now, a little bit more history. The book of Exodus, right? I, I mentioned already that it's called the Torah, those first five books of the Bible that are written by Moses. It's, it's also referred to as the Pentateuch, right? Pentateuch is the Greek 
term for those first five books. Torah is the Hebrew term. Pentateuch, uh, P-E-N-T-A, right, which means five, right? So literally in the Greek, the first five books is what we're talking about. Uh, Torah, it, and when it refers to it, is just uh, the Hebrew word for teaching, uh, doctrine or instruction. So when the Jewish people talk about the Torah, they're talking about the first five books that Moses wrote that is just about the instruction of how we're to follow, follow God, right? Now, the name given to the book right? Exodus, the name that we know it from, was actually not a Hebrew name. When the Hebrews or the Jews read the scriptures and they read what we know as the Old Testament as Christians, but for them it's, it's the law and the prophets, it is the scriptures, they refer to those books just by their first words in the book, right? They, they didn't actually name them separately. They just look at the first five, six, seven, eight words in the scroll, and that's how they refer to those books. But the name Exodus actually comes about in about the third century for us. And it was a Greek term uh, that uh, as they translated the Hebrew scriptures into Greek for the very first time in a translation called the Septuagint, 70, Septa, uh, we talked about the 70 people coming out of, uh, of Israel into Egypt. And then you have 70 translators historically that translate the Hebrew scriptures into the Greek. That's where we get the word Septuagint. Uh, anyway, they named that book, this book, Exodus, right? And the Exodus literally means the departure, right? We're talking about actually leaving out of a place. It's going out without any thought of returning, right? And so uh, where are they leaving? Of course, they're leaving Egypt, uh, but they're not only leaving the place of Egypt, they're actually leaving an entire an entire way of life, right? Egypt had been a place of refuge once upon a time, but it had become a way of life and it actually had become a snare to them. So Exodus is like, we're leaving, we're getting out. Another definition you could say is simply just the way out, right? And I want you to hear that God is calling us out, just like he was calling the people of Israel out of where they were. He's calling us out today of where we are. And he's always showing us the way out. He's always calling us out. I think it's so fascinating that Exodus means the way out, but I look at the New Testament and the people of God in the New Testament, the church, the Greek word is called, is ecclesia, uh, or I'm sorry, ecclesia. And ecclesia basically means the called out ones. So God is always calling out. He's calling out the people of Israel historically from Egypt, and he's calling us out now, and he's providing us a way out. He's always giving us a way out. And Jesus loves to do that. He's always showing us the doorway of escape. In 1 Corinthians 10, Paul says, listen, you're going to encounter lots of challenges in your life, lots of temptations. Everybody's going to have them. But God's faithful. He's going to show you the way out. Right? So as we study this book, as we look at Exodus over the next couple of weeks, uh, I'm asking the Lord uh, to speak to us very, very specifically to each one of us, very directly about that, how we need to come out of some things, how we need to leave some of the places and the habits maybe that we have been stuck in. And I'm believing God is gonna do that in each of, each of our lives. So I'm gonna give you a challenge and then uh, just kind of get into an outline of the book. Uh, but the challenge is this, for the next week, before the next time we come together, I just wanna ask you and challenge you to read the first 15 chapters of the book. Now, it's a quick read because it's an engaging story. Uh, and uh, if, I mean, if you were to read two chapters a day, you'll, you'll be right there. But I want to say between now and next week, read those first 15 chapters. It'll help you understand 
what we're talking about, and you'll feel next week we're, you're right, right there, right into it. Now, the book itself, let me just give you some key verses, some key verses. Stick with me for just a few moments because this is now where we're going to start to get in, in the next few minutes very specific to your life and to my life. If we were to look uh, for how to outline this book, because it's actually like 40 chapters, uh, how, how do we actually describe what this book is, is about? Uh, I think what we can find is there's a couple of key verses that really tell us the outline for the entire book, and they're found in Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. Exodus 6, 6 through 8. We're going to look at these verses really for the next few minutes, the rest of our time uh, together, because they, they really give us the format for the book and the format for how God works in our life. And this is, this is what these verses say, uh, starting in verse 6 of chapter 6. Therefore, say to the people of Israel, this is God speaking to Moses, say to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will free you from your oppression and will rescue you from your slavery in Egypt. I will redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment. I will claim you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who has freed you from your oppression in Egypt. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you as your very own possession. I am the Lord. Now, what we see here in these few chapters is, is really the process that God takes the people of Israel through in this book. And he takes us through as well. Uh, and if you want to just kind of write uh, out in your outline, or write these things down, there are three things that God does for us. I want you to write these three words, redemption, covenant, and worship. Redemption, covenant, and worship. And this is how God works in the process he takes us through. He redeems us. Right? The Lord delivers his people. That's the first 18 chapters. You can write chapters 1 through 18 if you want to do that. Uh, then he claims us through his covenant promise. That's chapters 19 through 24. And then he leads us into worship. He dwells with his people. We see that in chapters 25 through 40 as God begins to give instructions and teach the people how to live and worship him day in and day out. Now, this is the story that God is writing. Right? This is the, the process that he takes his people through over and over again. The people of Israel and the, us today who are the new Israel, though every follower of Christ. And so we don't only see this historically in Exodus, we see this in our lives today, right? First, let's just talk about redemption for a moment. The Lord delivers his people, right? I, I mean, in the first third of that book, the Israel is literally set free from Egypt. They had been slaves in Egypt for more than 400 years. It's a long time, right? Uh, they had lived there. They had become a part of the culture. Even though they were separate as Jewish people, they were accustomed to the traditions and, and the way that the, the Egyptian culture was. And, uh, and, and they had, had once upon a time come to Egypt willingly, but at some point they weren't there freely any longer, right? At some point it was no longer a willful thing. At some point they actually became slaves. Uh, and then they were stuck. And isn't, isn't that the way it is with our freedom? Uh, you know, credit cards are a great example of that, right? Borrow a little today. Credit card companies are so, they're so generous with us, right? They'll just so willingly offer us uh, these little pieces of plastic that give us the ability to buy 
uh, more than we could buy on our own. And they tell us these little sweet things, these little sweet lies about how, you know, it, it's fine. We won't charge you very much interest. And, and so we just borrow just a little bit. And then suddenly, all of a sudden, I don't know how it happens, you're a slave, right? I mean, the, the verse in Proverbs that says, the borrower is slave to the lender, that is so true, and we experience it every single day. We were free once upon a time. Uh, I had the control of my resources, my finances once upon a time, and now I don't. Now I, I uh, Citibank owns me, right? Now, now uh, Discover owns me. And so the same thing with so many things, with you know, a little bit uh, of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of drugs, a little bit of alcohol, a little bit of sex, a little bit of, of escapism in our thought life, a little bit of engagement in worry or negativity, a little bit indulgement of our anger. Boy, and suddenly we find we're not as free as we used to be. We were willingly engaging in those things. Now we're trapped in those things that we can't seem to get out. And the Lord wants to deliver us. He wants to deliver us from all of these things. Just like he delivered the people of Israel from Egypt, he wants to take us out of Egypt as well. He wants to take us out of that place of slavery too. But see, after that deliverance, after taking us out, there's another process that the Lord takes the people of Israel through, that he takes us through. That is the process of covenant, the process of a relationship, an intimate relationship where the Lord claims you and I, and he teaches us that uh, we are totally his. And so I think what's fascinating, right, is that the, when the Lord takes the people of the children of Israel out of Egypt, he doesn't take them straight to the promised land. They actually end up in the wilderness for like 40 years going around in circles. Why is that? Well, I mean, part of what happened is that even though he had taken them out of Egypt, right, Egypt was still in them. Uh, it had been a part of their thinking process. They had been trained by the culture. Their worldview had been completely uh, inundated in their thought process and in their minds, and they couldn't just escape it just by leaving it geographically, right? I mean, that old saying, it reminds me of wherever you go, there you are, right? I mean, it's this order we carry with us all the things that we have picked up in the past. And, and what the people of Israel didn't understand was that God couldn't just, it wasn't that he was just setting them free from a geographic location so that they could then do what they wanted. He wasn't giving them freedom so then they could do whatever they, whatever pleased them. He was actually giving them freedom so that they could become his people, right? And that's what we have to remember is that God always has a purpose in deliverance. His purpose is always beyond just the deliverance. It's deliverance, it's freedom, so that, right? God's idea of freedom and our idea of freedom are oftentimes very, very different, right? I mean, oftentimes when we think about freedom, we think it means that we're going to be able to do whatever we want to do. But the truth is that's not real freedom because if you use your freedom to do what you want to do, then nine times out of 10, you're gonna use your freedom uh, and do something that is the very thing that will end up taking your freedom away. When we talked about credit cards and all those other things just a moment ago. And true enduring freedom requires us to use that freedom that we have to do what we should do, right? What God wants us to do. That's how you stay free. You actually do the things that you should do. Uh, and it's not just about what I want, it's about what he wants, because when I do what he wants, it's always the best, and it's always the road to more and more freedom. And that's what Paul meant when he says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, he says, so Christ has truly set us free. 
Now, make sure that you stay free and you don't get tied up again in slavery. Boy, I mean, that's, that is so critical for us. Jesus has set us free, but boy, we're going to have to stay free. We're going to have to stay engaged with him. We're going to have to stay clean, stay working, stay allowing him to train us and, and, uh, and create a people inside of us, right? Create us into the kind of people that he wants us to be. So the kind of freedom that Israel needed required a re-education from the Lord uh, because freedom should always lead to obedience, not to license, right? Not to doing what you want, but actually obedience to what the Lord wants. So he takes them out into the wilderness and he begins to teach them that he was their true source and he was their provider, right? And, and he wants them to understand that they are his people and he takes his covenant, his promise to them very, very seriously, right? In other words, he wants them to, to rely on him to lead them. He wants them to ask him what they should do, right? He wants them to depend on him that he's going to keep care of them, right? Not Egypt, not the politicians, not the structure of society. Notice it's actually God that wants, is going to teach them that he's the one that's in control and he wants to have a relationship with him. So he does this little by little so that they will be obedient to him and they'll trust him more and more because as we learn that God wants the best for us, that he loves us perfectly, then we begin to understand that he, his way is always the best, that obedience is always the best, right? And, and that's an, a lesson that sometimes it takes a while for us to understand because we keep thinking, well, it's really my way that's the best. I really know what to do. And we kind of tell God, just wait. And then he waits and we discover, oh, I really should have listened to him to begin with. Right. And there's a difficult thing, a difficult time that we have in letting go of, of old habits. Right? It seems that the people of Israel, every time they encountered a challenge, their first instinct was to go back to what they learned in Egypt. Right? Instead of turning to the Lord, they start to grumble and complain. So they, they have a difficult time letting go of the old. Right. Because every time they encounter a challenge, they tend to go right back to the way things were before. And I think what's fascinating, right, is that you have to remember, while all of this is happening, it's not like God has left them. While all of this is happening, every single time they're, they're frustrated, they're bitter, they, they go back to the old Egyptian ways and responding. God is right there, right? Every single day, God is with them in the form of the pillar of cloud uh, by, uh, by day and a pillar of fire by night. So old habits... I think they die hard, don't they? I mean, we see that same thing in our life today. Now, as they learn uh, to be obedient, as they learn to trust in the Lord, what happens is their obedience, it creates the pathway to worship. And that's really kind of the third part of the book, right? Obedience, we have to remember, is actually worship itself, right? That's why the prophet Samuel says to King Saul, uh, that obedience is better than sacrifice, right? Because it's it's not just uh, giving something to the Lord. The ultimate thing that we can give is our obedience, right? So when we when we obey the Lord today, we're saying to Him, "I trust you. You know the best. You are the best, right?" Uh, and so the that whole last third of the book, the Lord begins to teach the people of Israel through Moses how they should worship Him, how they should live life with Him, because He wants to dwell with His people. Uh, just like he dwelled with the people of Israel there in the tabernacle, and he dwells with us today 
his whole purpose is actually to have people that would live with him, not only right now on the earth, but forever. Right, And so those last 15 chapters of the book, God gives Moses instructions for how he wants to be worshipped. Right? And, uh, and he's not okay with anything goes. God is not okay with anything goes. He's very specific about he want, how he wants them to honor him, how he wants them to worship him. And, and he tells them, do this, don't do that. And you can't just bring anything to the Lord. You can't just say, ah, you know, it's whatever, it's my leftovers. No, no, no. He, he teaches them that there is a way that he desires to be worshipped. He wants to be at the center of their lives. He wants to be at the center of the camp. All of the two million people, children of Israel, that are there wandering, every time they would set up camp, they would put the tabernacle of meeting, which was that place of worship, right at the center of camp. And all of the uh, tribes, every time you would get up in the morning, you would see there at the center that the, the focus of the entire society was worship of the king of kings, worship of God. Uh, and that's the pattern for us, right? The pattern for us is one of redemption, covenant, and worship. God is redeeming us. He's saving us from sin. He's then building a relationship with us, a covenant relationship where he's telling us, I want you to trust me. I want you to walk with me. I'm going to provide for you. I've given everything you need. And he wants us to learn how to worship him day in and day out. This is what Peter says in the New Testament, and I think some interesting parallels he'll hear. For those of you that are students, you'll see it right away. 1 Peter 2.9, this is how he describes the church. He says, you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. What we see there is that same pattern, right? He's called us out of darkness. He's redeemed us from darkness. He's called us to live differently, and then he's given us a purpose to worship him and to live life out praising him every single day. And so the pattern that we see in the Old Testament is repeated in the New Testament. It's repeated in the life of every single believer. Now, let's go back just for a moment and make this real personal as we close. Uh, because, as I said, this is not just some book of history in the Old Testament, and we're not just looking at some nice parallels. It's about us right here uh, and right now. It's about us leaving our old ways. We, we saw that outline in verses 6, 7, and 8, right, of redemption, of covenant, uh, and of worship, and how uh, Moses went to the people, and he said, this is what God wants to do. I'm going to set you free. But then I think what's fascinating is what happens in verse 9. What do the people of Israel say back to Moses? And this is exactly what they say. It says in verse 9, Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. Boy, that's, that's some powerful, powerful words there. They did not listen. I mean, here is God speaking. He's saying, I've got a way out for you. Uh, I've got an answer. I'm going to take you out of slavery. I'm going to take you out of where you're at. I'm going to take you out of this place that's not your home. I'm going to take you to your home. And they did not listen. Something kept them from hearing and responding, right? Um, there was just an inability for them to receive what he was saying. James in the New Testament says a fascinating thing about hearing what God is saying and not listening. He says, boy, if you can hear God's message but you actually don't respond to it, it's the same as looking in a mirror at yourself and seeing that there is a problem, but not actually doing anything about it. Now, I just want to tell you, when you look in the mirror, 
typically you stare in the mirror until things look the way that you want them to look, right? I mean, I mean, sometimes we don't love what we see, but we will work on our face until we're okay with our face, at least okay enough to go out. Uh, because we're going to stare at it, we're going to see all the issues, some blemishes, some wrinkles, some problems, maybe there's a zit or two, whatever it is, uh, we're going to work on it because a person that stares at, in the mirror at his face, they're aware of what needs to change and they change it. Well, here's my question. How's your face? Right? How, how's, how are you doing in terms of when you look at the Word of God, when you look at the Spirit of God, when you listen to His voice and He's saying to you there's some issues are you actually doing anything about it, or are you just seeing them and walking away? And the people of Israel, they couldn't, they couldn't listen. They couldn't hear. They couldn't change what was on their face, even though God was putting the mirror right up there. And it was because, the verse goes on to say, it was because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. There's two things that we see right here that will keep us from responding, just like it kept the people of the children of Israel from responding to what the Lord wanted to do. A broken spirit and harsh slavery. Now, broken spirit is a spirit that is overwhelmed with sorrow, right? It, it is overwhelmed with so many difficult things that it's just like a weight that, they, that you can't escape. Proverbs 17 says, a cheerful heart is a good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. Man, when you have been crushed by life, when you have been disappointed and delayed, when you have, it's been so long since you've been able to receive encouragement and just seem like thing after thing happens and disappointment after disappointment, brokenness after brokenness, my family, my life, my work, everything around me, my friendships, all of those things just seem to be broken. After a while, it's so difficult for us to be able to receive anything. Proverbs 18 says, the human spirit can endure in sickness, but a crushed spirit, who can bear? Man, I mean, there's just, there's a sickness that comes when we have uh, delayed hope. There's a sickness that comes when we have been disappointed over and over and over again, and it will keep us from being able to hear and respond to what God says if we're caught in that cycle of a broken spirit. And so I want to speak to you today if you have a broken spirit, right? If that's you, if you know, man, I've just, I've found myself in a place where I am just down. I'm depressed. I'm broken. I, I can't seem to get out of this. I want to speak life into you today because God doesn't want you to stay there. God wants you to come out of that. John 15, Jesus says, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So if you've got a broken spirit today, I just want to say Jesus wants to speak life into you. It's time to come back into hope Again, all of that brokenness that's around you, I'm not saying it's not true. I'm just saying there's one that's greater that is available to give you life and hope and joy. He's the redeemer of everything. He's able to take broken lives and broken situations and impossible problems and actually do something about them. He can take that which is uh, bitter and make it sweet. He can take that which is broken and heal it once again, and he can do it inside of you. So I just want to declare to you right now, and I want you to receive it, that by faith, God is going to speak new a life into you. There's a breath of fresh air that's coming into you, even though you've gone through a season of difficulty, a season of brokenness, and it seems relationships are broken. It seems your life is on a downward spiral. I want to say to you, it's not on downward spiral because God is a God 
of redemption and hope, and he's going to bring us back into the place that we need to be. So just receive that today if you find that you're in that place of broken spirit. I just want to, I want to say, don't stay there, but begin to draw in the life of Jesus's spirit. The second thing that will keep us from hearing and responding is harsh slavery. That's what kept the people of Israel from responding, right? What is harsh slavery? Well, I mean, we know it, right? It's when you're stuck and you're driven, and you're controlled, and you're buried, uh, and you, you, you're indebted, and you can't get out, right? So literally, uh, they, they were under the yoke of slavery, right? They, they were in a place where they could not control their own destiny or their future, and they had been in Egypt so long that they had become slaves. Once upon a time, they weren't, but now they were, and the Egyptians now were just they were difficult, hard taskmasters, and they were controlling the children of Israel and not allowing them any kind of freedom. And it began to break them down mentally and emotionally. But I want you to remember, slavery comes in many forms, right? Slavery is not just about literal slavery. The Apostle Paul reminds us in, in Romans chapter 6 that you can become a slave to whatever you choose to obey. Right? He says you can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. So whatever you choose to obey ultimately becomes your master. And sin is a, is a terrible taskmaster, right? At first, we're convinced that sin is a win, right? At first, we think, man, it's, uh, sin promises an escape for us. It's an easy way out. It's a, it's a momentary release. It's a, it's a pleasure that we can enjoy. But then we discover that it, it, sin has an ugly underbelly. Uh, and the thing which was once fun and provided us entertainment has now it's trapped us and we, we can't escape, right? Slavery to sin is, is really the natural state of the world. We go through life and we find that we're constantly being polluted, right? We're constantly running into things that stick to us and begin to pull on us. And if we're not careful, if we're not constantly washing ourselves and getting clean, then we find we're stuck. That we, 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 are, we become... We become slaves to something that we, we really don't want to be. And once upon a time, the children of Israel, they could have left Egypt, but they didn't, and, and they got stuck right there. And it reminds me of the old saying, habits are cobwebs first, then cables. Right? I mean, at first, it's, they're just very small, very wispy, a cobweb that can be sort of brushed away without any problem. But the more you do that habit, that cobweb becomes a steel cable that becomes incredibly difficult to break out of. My question for you today is what do you need to come out of? What have you picked up in this last season and it's time to get rid of it, right? What, what, what things do you need to respond to the Lord that he's saying, hey, you, you need to deal with this. It could be old traditions, it could be old habits, it could be old ways of life, be old things that you were into that have come back. It could be something that you've picked up recently or something you've been struggling with a long time. God wants you to get out of that. And then the good, the good news is, of course, is that he will help you get unstuck, right? So not only is he saying you're stuck, he's saying, come on out. I've given you a way out. I'm going to lead you out of Egypt. I'm going to lead you out of that old way. And I'm going to deliver you into a new way of life. Paul says it this way. And he's speaking of this deliverance. He says, uh, Jesus has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him, we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us.
Listen, I want to encourage you today that deliverance is where Exodus begins and deliverance is where we begin today in this series. Whatever old habits and whatever old ways, whether it's even new stuff or old stuff that you're carrying, that where we want to begin is just to ask the Lord, Lord, would you, would you show us what we need to come out of? Lord, would you teach me? Would you, would you reveal to me by your spirit those things that I have picked up, those things that I've walked in, the sin that I have become entangled in, the, the things that once I dabbled in but now have become a chain and a prison for me. If that's you today, in whatever area it is, maybe it's a, a habit of your thought life, maybe it's a habit that you've developed uh, in, in this time of quarantine and isolation, it's a habit that you realize is now dragging you down, well, it's time. It's time for redemption. It's time to come out. It's time for an exodus. It's time for freedom. And I want to pray today, right here, right now, that the Lord will set you free of that thing and that he'll begin to speak to you about the process that he wants to take you in of taking you towards that 100% living for him every single day. Would you pray for me? Just bow your head, Lord Jesus. I do ask that you would reveal to us right now and to our spirits those areas that we need to break out of. Those, those sins that we have become entangled in, those habits, Lord, that have become cables who were once cobwebs, but now they have become a way of life and we're enslaved to them. And we want to be able to be responsive to you. And so I just pray uh, for every man and every woman that's hearing my voice right now in the name of Jesus, that you would set them free, that you would speak to our spirits, Lord, that we don't have to be trapped in these areas, that, Lord, you can give us victory, that you're actually calling us out, that you don't leave us in Egypt, you don't leave us uh, stuck in the way things were. We, d we can, in fact, be free. So help us to walk in freedom. I pray, Lord, for the rest of the series, and I pray that you would, you would help us to see how you are leading us day by day by day. Help us to say yes to you and no to sin. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed the message, and we hope to see you on a Sunday at 9 or 11 a.m. Visit us online at caseyhamford.com, and if you want to support our ministry, click Give. Cornelia Church, passion for God, compassion for people.